Hey, uh, I'm Russ Jordan. I'm the campus minister down in Beckley. Uh, so good that I can get to come up here and be with you all um, this time of the year. Uh, and I got to bring some good news from Beckley. It's exciting for me to be up here preaching, uh, not only just to be with you in Taze Valley, but to realize that down in Beckley, we have a part-time staff member who's filling in preaching this morning down there. We have hired uh, Caleb Wills and uh, as our part-time youth minister down there. And so... This is his second sermon ever preaching. Um, The first one, I was supposed to be at St. Albans, but it kind of worked out where Dave could preach at St. Albans. So he didn't know I was coming, and I was in the audience for his first message, which was about six weeks ago. And and, uh, he just looked up, and he's like, oh, you're here? And I said, yeah, I'm here. Uh, But it it brings me a lot of joy. You know, I see Mark Nichols sitting back there. Mark and uh, the guy that's preaching at the church I came from, uh, Grandview Christian Church. These guys went to Bible college when I was down there at Grandview Christian Church while they were coming through high school. Uh, I was uh, their preacher at 24 years old, and I could still whip them in basketball back then. I can't do it anymore. Now I just coach basketball down at Shady Tigers, who are ranked number one in the state, by the way, but that's just here or there. Um, But no, anyways, uh, I'm just glad I can be with you all. And and I want to encourage you guys with something. Beckley Campus started uh, in February, this coming February, it'll be five years old. And I remember our uh, very first Sunday night, because we did Sunday night services for about a month before we went Sunday morning, there was uh, a lot of people came from Gateway, Taste Valley, and St. Albans to encourage us, but then that first Sunday morning, when it was just us, there was 12 of us. My kids resulted in the youth group. And this year, uh, we have been up to as high as 97 in attendance. Um, We've got over 30 uh, students in our student ministry. Uh, God's done all that. And it's been because of the faithfulness of your prayers and support, uh, the Taste Valley campus, our St. Albans campus. And so God's doing great things in the life of our church. I'm here to tell you. Uh, This morning, this is a little quick announcement, but um, the the yearly budgets are out there at the... um, Uh, starting point ministry table. We ask you to pick those up. Next week, you'll have the affirmation cards of your budget and our elder team that we have here. So if you have any questions about the budget, please see one of your elders. They'd be glad to explain any and answer any questions. But the thing I put this in this little blurb is because I just saw where their offering goal for our Beckley campus is over $100,000. And I was like, wow, if that was five years ago and there were seven of us, <laughs> that's a lot to take off. But it just shows what God is doing in the life of our church. And the reason I say all of this is because I know you're in a search for a campus minister. All right? I want to encourage you all to be patient, be fervent in prayer, and trust God in this process that He's going to bring the right person at the right time. And you'll know that. And here's the thing. It gives you all of you all an opportunity to step up <laughs> and to get involved in ministry. And then when you hire your campus minister, it's not time for you all to say, well, you're here now, so we can just go back. Now, this is an opportunity for growth for the church. And, and, and I really believe that. And I just want to not only just encourage you, but I'd like to pray for you. Uh, would you all join me in praying as we ask God to bless this search? Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity you give us to come in to worship you and honor you and to love you and to serve you. And Father, as Gateway across the state continues to reach out as we love God, love people and serve, we're seeing you do great things. And God, I know that there's a transition period going on here at this campus. And Father, I have full confidence, uh, not only in our elders and our leaders, but I have more confidence that you are preparing the heart of the individual 
who's going to be here to lead this campus, to reach out further into this community, to share the love of Christ, to watch souls be saved and lives transformed into the image of our Savior. So, Father, I pray for the people of this campus. Uh, they've been faithful and encouraging us in Beckley. Uh, it's now our turn to encourage them in prayer and trust you in this process, Father, and that you will bring the one that will be the perfect fit to help this campus to grow and to continue to bless this community. Again, God, as we get ready to go into the message, I just pray that you fill me with your spirit, get me out of the way, and God, just let your message come to the hearts of your people. Father, for those who have ears to hear, let them hear. This we pray in Jesus' holy name and all God's people said. Amen. All right. Well, again, so glad to be with you during basketball season. I mean, I get really pumped up. You'll see me wearing my sneakers a lot. Of course, I wear my sneakers a lot, a lot of times. So if you guys, you know, your Uggs and your Hey Dudes and all that cool shoes you guys wear, you know, I just wear sneakers. All right. So because um, that way, I, I, you never know. There might be a pickup game right out there on the parking lot. And I'll be ready to go. Um, at least in my mind, I still think I can go. But, uh, but anyways, I just... I'm excited about this sermon series for a couple of reasons. We've entitled it, Go Tell It on the Mountain. And that song comes through us, the song that we sing at this time of year, from an African-American heritage in our country. And it highlights how the angels first told the shepherds about the birth of Jesus. So we're looking into the nativity story where God sends angels to break into the human scene and send some form of announcement to the people of God. And we'll get to the shepherds. Everybody thinks about the shepherds, and we'll get to them in this series, but not today. Last week, we talked about a part of the Christmas story that a lot of people don't even consider, the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And it's an important story because through them, they bring John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is the one who's going to be like Elijah to prepare the way in the wilderness for Jesus. And it's an important part of the story. But, you know, last week we learned that why Elizabeth and uh, Zachariah were well into their uh, age. They could, Elizabeth couldn't have children. And all of a sudden, the angel says, Hey, Zachariah, you're, you're a faithful priest. You're in here serving every day. I've got some good news to you. Your, your wife and you are going to have a baby. <laughs> I can just see that right now. You know, uh, Loftus, you're going to have a baby. That's just great. Could you see what happened? Loftus just fall over dead right there, you know. Or Sharon be like, I'm out. One of the two is going to happen. But... But can you just imagine people along that lines and, you know, and, and, and we, we give him more like, hey, this is an angel telling you this. You should, you, you, you're the man of God. You should know these things. But we would be the same. If an angel came to you and said something remarkable, miraculous is going to happen in your life. If you ever notice every time someone encounters an angel, they're in fear. And, and they're in fear because the presence of, of these angels are so significant then I think that it has to do with the holiness of God. And I think when we're around the holiness of God, it just makes us realize who we are in our sinfulness. And so we just fall down. And, and so last week we talked about them, but we learned that, that if our will will align to the will of God, it shouldn't surprise us when God says yes to our prayers. He heard their prayers. He just answered them in his time. And then as we move through the gospel today of, of Matthew, we've entitled this message, When God Intervenes. So it's not just a times when our will needs to align to the will of God to be able to move forward with God. Sometimes there's going to be a d- divine intervention. And when we think of that word, it means a course 
correction. And maybe some of you here today feel like you need an intervention from God. Can anyone use that this morning? Let's start by praying that we have an open heart and open mind what God is going to say to us. And our, our, our main scripture text is found in Matthew's gospel. And it's, I'm going to talk about Joseph. But if you don't mind, I want to get a few uh, moments about Joseph and give you some, some details of his life. In my opinion, he gets the raw deal when it comes to the Christmas story. And although he's the main, one of the main characters in the story, it's almost like he's behind the scenes uh, when it comes to our songs and our traditions. You know, think about some of the songs that we sing. One of the most popular this time of year is Silent Night. And here Silent Night says, Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin and mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild. Is there any mention of Joseph there? He's the father of the child. You know, I, I, again, if you're a young father here, you're only going to get away with, hey, babe, I don't know how to do this diaper thing for like a few times, all right? Eventually, she's going to smack you in the face and say, you're going to learn how to do a diaper. Then here's my suggestion. Become a NASCAR pit crew member and then time yourself and see how long it takes you to wrap that sucker back up, all right? You know, from start to finish, you know, enjoy it. Make it a competition. That's what I did with my children and they're okay, I think. But anyways, my point is, is this. We never hear any mention of Joseph. Another song we love to sing is, What Child Is This? The words are, What child is this who laid to rest in Mary's lap sleeping? This is a great song, but I know in fact that Joseph had a lap. And I know in fact there's moments where she said, Here, take this. All right? Even, even it's God himself. She said that. I promise you. I don't care what you think. If you think I'm wrong on that, that's fine. That's your opinion. It's wrong. Mine's right. But my point is, is that he had a lap and it's never mentioned in any song that we ever sing. You know, you can go to any of them. Mary, did you know? You know, Breath of Heaven. All these songs talk about Mary and the baby and it almost seems like Joseph is not even there. You know, think about it. What kind of man would God have to help provide and protect the, the Savior of the world? It's a great question. Well, there's some things we don't know about Joseph, but there are some things that we do know about him. In fact, here's what the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about Joseph, but here's what it does tell us. Number one, he worked with his hands, all right? A lot of us think of the word carpenter, but probably more correctly, if you've ever seen pictures of Israel, there's not a whole lot of oak trees, all right? So if you're thinking of wood and carpentry like that, you probably need to start thinking more like brick masons and masonry, all right? And notice, he worked with his hands. Matthew chapter 13, verse 55 says that he was a carpenter or some sort of handyman. The Greek word is that, uh, used in this verse is that describes any kind of person who works with their hands. Number two, he was a godly man. Luke chapter 2, verse 22, we read, according to the Jewish law, he took his family to the temple to dedicate the newborn adopted son. He was an obedient man. We know this, Matthew chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. He, warned, he was warned in a dream to rush his family down to Egypt for protection from the evil King Herod, which he did. And after Herod died, the angel told him to go back to Israel, which he did. And he modeled high religious standards. We read in Luke chapter 2, verse 41, that he took his family every year to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the Passover. You probably remember the story in one of those trips when Jesus found his way into the temple to discuss the law with the Jewish leaders. When they left, they had traveled in a large group. Imagine how Joseph felt after a day's worth of travel to realize Jesus wasn't with them. Any parent here ever lose a child? I got my hand up. Yeah. 
Yeah, I came home from lunch one day when I was serving the church in Washington, Indiana. And uh, Tanya had Eli. We just had Eli and Sam at the time. And Eli was little and he was in one of those little uh, baby entrapment things, cages, whatever you call them, rockers, whatever. Uh, but anyways, he was in one of those. And Sam was just little and playing in the garage. And Tanya was working on it. We had little, little fish ponds and she was cleaning it out. Somebody forgot to shut the garage door, and it's really irrelevant who that was, whether it was me or Tanya, so that's really irrelevant to the story. But someone left and went back to work, and the garage door was open, and Sam was playing in the garage. Tanya was in the back cleaning the fish while Eli was in the entrapment thing. And lo and behold, Sam went up the driveway and gone. I get a call from my wife says, where's Sam? And I said, well, he was in the garage, and he's not here. And I remember turning the car around and doing over the speed limit, let's just say that, to get home to a frantic wife who's crying and bawling and said, he's not here, I can't find him anywhere in the property. Lo and behold, one of the neighbors drove past, saw him down by the road, thought he was the neighbor's kid, put him in the car, and then drove up to the house over there and thought it was the neighbor's kid. Now, I could have went really, really bad, right? Could not have had Sam, but, you know, God will give you more. But anyway, but if you're ever, if, just kidding, bad, bad, bad. But my point is, is this, if you ever lost a child, that feeling is awful, isn't it? And I can tell you this, that Mary was probably very late and said, Joseph, where is our precious son Jesus? I'm sure it came out just like that. No, it did not. She threw a fit. He panicked. I never left my kid for more than 10, 15 minutes. Joseph left Jesus for a day, so I feel like I'm winning. Okay, so my, my point is, is this. You know, that, that, that's one of the stories that it tells us about G, uh, Joseph. He had a good reputation. Of course, the Bible says this. At least three times in the Gospels, people refer Jesus as the son of Joseph. We see that in Luke 4.22, John 1.45, and John 6.42. And we know that from Matthew 12.46 that Jesus had brothers. So Joseph Lee presumably fathered and raised those children as well. And, and, and finally, it's kind of interesting. We never have his death isn't mentioned. Joseph isn't mentioned by any of the gospel stories, although Mary and Jesus' brothers are occasionally and if you remember, when Jesus was on the cross, he committed the care of his mother to John, which indicates that Joseph was already dead. This leads us to believe that he probably died before the start of Jesus' public ministry. To summarize, Joseph was a provider and a protector for our Savior in his early years. He worked with his hands every day. Now, this is something I think about. If, if Jesus grew up in this Jewish culture, then most likely Jesus traveled with his father as he worked with his hands. And he probably went from Nazareth to Capernaum um, to other places throughout those place, uh, the area. And, and, and this is something I think sometimes when we think about when we read about Jesus going into these towns and villages, that he, you know, like the woman at the well that, was, that he met or the woman that was caught in the act of adultery, we kind of get in our mind that he never met these people before. Ah, Again, this is my opinion, and it's right, and yours is wrong. Uh, I think if he traveled with his father as a young Jewish boy would to learn his trade, that he probably knew some of these people as he was growing up as a teenager, uh, as he was growing up to be an early man. It's just my opinion. Like I said, I'm right, and that's fine. But, but I, I believe this because this would give him access. You know, he moved around to these towns and villages pretty, pretty easily. And so I think that probably these are some of the things that maybe he learned from Joseph, how to travel. But we know this, what it says about Jesus as he grow, grew as a child, Luke 2, 52. It says, because of Joseph's efforts and his upbringing, it says, wisdom and stature and favor they found as he grew uh, with God and man. 
So this is what it says of Jesus. So that example had to come from someplace is what I'm saying. I think it came from Joseph who we need to make a Christmas song about Steve. So that's your task this week. I say this behind the scenes figure of Jesus. I think he had a front row seat from the beginning. I think he had a big influential part of Jesus' upbringing. You may be wondering why this message is called God Intervenes. Well, I told you our main scripture text comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. If you have your Bibles or on your phone, follow along with me. And here's what the Word of the Lord says this morning. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph just... Uh, just a man unwilling to put her to shame and resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel commanded him, and he took uh, his wife. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You see what's happening here, don't you? You have a young couple. At least Mary was probably young, 13, 14 Joseph might have been a little bit or quite a bit older, but they were betrothed. And we need to talk about that. The betrothal period is a lot like an engagement in our society, but it's more serious and it comes with legal accountability. The period of betrothal lasts about 12 months. And during this time, there was no sexual intercourse of any kind and God desired purity upon the wedding day. And he still desires that even in today's culture. Now, there was a practice in ancient cultures, including Judaism, of a prearranged marriages. Parents would choose their spouses for their children. When I was a young single guy, I thought this was a terrible idea. But now with an eighth grade daughter who's getting ready to go into high school, I think this is the best idea ever. Now, during the betrothal period, Joseph and marriages with, with Mary might have been prearranged, but I think there's more evidence to show that it probably wasn't. And in fact, if it wasn't, then he had to go and ask uh, Mary's parents for her to be his wife. Um, I got to share my story on this. It, there's nothing romantic here. There's just fear and uh, a knife and a father-in-law. So I, I was going to Johnson Bible College, um, and I, it was my year to have a summer internship and I'm from Indiana, and so in southern Indiana, about an hour south of Bloomington, Indiana, home of the Hoosiers, uh, is a little town called Brownstown, a little farming community. It has a Browntown Christian church. They had a preacher and a youth minister, and they were looking for a summer intern youth minister. So I said, sign me up. Now, I just broke up with this girl I've dated for over three and a half years. And so I was on the way from Knoxville, Tennessee, up to my summer internship, and I was talking to my uncle, and he was excited because he lives in Columbus, Indiana, which was about 45 minutes from Brownstown. He said, when you come up, we'll get together, we'll play some golf, and he was well into what was called volleyball. Uh, it was like playing volleyball inside of a racquetball court, and he was all into it. And he said, you can come up and play volleyball with my buddies. I'm like, no. Uh, but he was worried because I was single, all right? And I said, look, Uncle Bob, 
I am going to Brownstown, Indiana for the Lord. And I'm going to concentrate on the Lord and these kids. And this is all I'm going to do this summer. Three months later, I was calling him and telling him I was engaged. He reminds me of this story. And I'm going to tell you how I went out because I've never asked a girl to marry me before. But I found out that you're supposed to go and talk to her dad. Now, Tanya's dad worked at Allison's uh, uh, Transmissions. I'm sorry, Cummins Engines. That's my uncle. Uh, my, 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 Tanya's dad worked at Cummins. All right. And he's an auto guy. And he owned a small hobby farm. Hobby farm. I'm trying to get this out. 35 acres. They had cows. They had all this other stuff. You know, this guy would whittle wood with, with a knife. Right. And he'd also pick the dirt out of his fingernails with his pocket knife. It was a multi-use tool. All right. So I'm sweating bullets going out there. And I said, hey, I need to talk to you. And he goes, what do you want? I mean, man of very few words. And I said, well, I just need to talk to you. Can you, can you be there? And he's like, yeah. And he goes, well, what? you just take her out. I don't need to talk to you. And I said, no, I need to talk to you. He's like, well, be here. And I'm like, okay, I'm there. So I'm driving. I'm sweating all the way out to her house. I'm like, what am I going to say to this guy? And I'm going, he's sitting on the front porch. And his pocket knife, it's only about this big, but at that time it looked like a machete. And, and he's sitting there just digging this dirt out of his fingernails. He goes, what do you want? He looks down over his glasses, and I'm like, uh, well, you know, we've been dating. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I said, uh, I'd like to know if I can marry your daughter. And it seemed like it was an eternity, but it was probably in just a few seconds. I'm like, dude, are you going to say something? He's digging with that machete. He looks up at me. He goes, well, I never wanted her to marry a horse thief or a preacher. But I'll guess you'll do. That's exactly what he said to me. So then we, we were engaged, and I go back to school that year. I graduate. Uh, we get married the following May, and I come, and we during Christmas at their house six months later. You know what he comes up to me? There's no return policy on this. You understand what I'm saying? I love my father in law. I buy him presents, he buys me presents, and we just kind of go on. All right. But I remember the fear. That is in you when you're trying to ask her for, and you know, you could have put away your machete, dude, and it would have been a little bit nicer. I think about that, but when the guy comes and asks me about Phoebe, I've got some plans. All right, so here we are. He's, he's asked her to marry him. She said yes during the betrothal period, and he finds out she's pregnant. Yeah. He's got some choices and decisions to make. And he's greatly disturbed by this because wouldn't anybody? You say, I've been faithful to you, I promise. Well, whose kid is this? God's. Now, you're sitting taken back just like we are in our society. Because I know the first thing when somebody would tell us that, if in today's culture, we go to Facebook or Twitter and say, guess what? Mary's pregnant with God's baby. Think about the problems that Joseph had. And he had options and he had choices and decisions to make. And I'm sure he was experiencing some of the same emotions and feelings if you heard that one of your friends said, yeah, I'm pregnant and it's God's baby. Number one, he could publicly shame her. Here's his options. The Old Testament law in Leviticus 20.10 said that if a man commits adultery with his wife's neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. 
And you probably remember the woman at the well that I was talking about in John chapter 8 was caught in the act of adultery and they were ready to stone her to death until Jesus revealed their hypocrisy. In fact, in the law books, she could have been put to death. And while the Romans probably took away their ability to do capital punishment, very least she would have had public shame. And many of them of her own family would have been affected by this. No other man with common sense would even take her in. Joseph could have had her shame publicly. Or he could divorce her quietly. This is the second option. And this was the option that he decided upon as we read in the scriptures. He was a good man. He was humble, honest, and he loved Mary very much. Mary had hurt him. But he had no reason to put her in public shame and ruin her life. So he had already had to deal with the consequences of her actions. Remember, I told you that the betrothal was a legal agreement. So he decided to go to find a rabbi who would write the divorce papers. And he would have to take two or three witnesses with him and go to Mary and her family to deliver the divorce papers. And he would have done it out of the public eye. There was a third option he could have taken. Deuteronomy 22 says, includes a law that says if a man gets a virgin pregnant and comes out in public, then he has to pay her father 50 shekels of silver, marry the girl, and he could never divorce her. This was not a bad option for the young woman as she would have provision and security for life, but it would have required Joseph to take credit for the pregnancy. And Joseph knew that the child wasn't his and nor was he going to take credit. If Joseph and Mary had lived in today's world, there would have been a fourth option. And it seems to be very popular in our culture since 1976. Over 63 million children in America have been aborted. And that was his fourth option. Can you imagine? If you lived in our day, the popular option would give Mary about $800 and send her to a Planned Parenthood clinic. Or should we call it an unplanned parentlesshood? And go and abort the child. Our culture probably would say, hey Joe... This was unexpected. This wasn't planned. It's inconvenient. You need to slow down and this is just going to hold you back from your upcoming journey. Besides, she did it to you before you got married. She'll probably do it to you after you get married. You don't want to be a parent. Just kill it. Abort the Son of God. How many young women and men have counted this option? Probably too many. It's okay. They reason those kids will go straight to heaven. Well, if they had this option for Joseph and Mary, they probably maybe taken the option. But here's the thing. Of course, God would never allow this to happen to his only begotten son, right? No, he would wait 33 years later and let him go to the cross for all of our sins. So Joseph had all these options and thought about each one of them. And that's when God intervened. Now, I want to try to tell you a story about an intervention. There's a couple that goes to our Beckley campus, David and Cindy Chen. And I think this Sunday marks one year from the time they first came to a worship service in Beckley. David lived out and Cindy lived at Flat Top Lake. And my boys do landscaping and they were trimming the hedges of the neighbor who lived right beside the Chins. And it happened to be we had to go help them because the rain had been so bad and we wouldn't be able to do it. We had to do it on Sunday afternoon after church. So go ahead and get your stones out ready to throw them at me, okay? But we're out there, and we're, we're trimming, and all of a sudden I hear this voice. Remember a Tim Allen show with, was it Wilson on the other side of the fence? And he's like, hey! And we're like, yeah. And he goes, you all want to trim the other side of the hedges, my side? And I'm like, okay. 
And I said, can we talk face to face? I don't want to yell through you through a hedge. He's like, yeah. He said, come on around. And I met him. He introduced myself. He asked how much we would do it. And we said we'd come probably next Saturday and take care of it. And that was three years prior. Never really talked to the man before and since. And Beckley Campus started. And one Sunday he comes in to worship with his wife. And he said, hey, I decided to come check you out. I want to know what kind of preacher you are. I was like, no pressure here, Russ. And so, uh, you know, they started coming and they started coming more regular. Um, this summer, uh, him and his wife and his daughter and the couple that introduced them and invited them to church, they, we baptized them in his pool this summer, all right? So, and David was a pretty rough dude before. There are not a lot of people had a lot of good things to say about David Chin. He owned a gym. He's kind of rough, told people what he thought, whether you liked it or not. But now he's met Jesus. He's involved in a small group that meets at his home. He's, his Facebook, his Twitter has all changed. He'd been doing real estate um, for uh, about two years. And uh, he came up to Tanya and myself and said, Hey, you guys want to do real estate with us? Like, well, I don't know what that entails. And so anyways, Tanya and I got a real estate license during this time. And long story short, he comes up to me right after I get my license. And he says... Think about opening my own brokerage. What do you think about that? And I was like, I don't know. I said, you've only been doing real estate a couple of years. And he said, yeah, but we're doing pretty good. And he said, but I, I don't know if I want to leave the person that has been so good to us. And I said, that's a tough one. You better pray about it. Better think about it. Well, he invited me out on a Saturday morning to go and do a couple of listings with him. And he said, I'll come pick you up at eight. That night, I could not sleep. I mean, and, and listen, look at this body. I sleep well, all right? It's not an exercise body. I mean, when I go to sleep, I'm usually out, all right? I couldn't sleep, got up, and was praying, and kept thinking, and was kept, I was like, why? Why can't I sleep? Lo and behold, he picks me up, and he goes, let's go get coffee. He said, I didn't sleep a week last night. And I said, me either. And he said, I, I really think I should stay with this person, but what do you think? And I thought, I was like, man, you have been doing so much, David, in our community. You have... People have seen you on Facebook and Twitter, changing your life. You're, you're donating all kinds of things that you probably you never donated to. He supports our basketball team, uh, supports our church faithfully. They're involved in teaching and small group ministry. I said, I think God's calling you to do something different in real estate. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I couldn't sleep, so I don't know. I just kind of jotted some things down. I said, you know, most real estate... When people are thinking realtors, they think, you know, not very much higher than a used car salesman. Be honest with you. I mean, let's just be honest. They think you're just after your money and digging in your pockets. I said, what if you had a real estate company that you gave part of what you made as commission back to your clients and they in turn turned that back into their community through a charitable donation of their choice? I said, no real estate company does that. Well, lo and behold, here we are now with David Chin, broker of Altruist Realty Group. Look up the word Altruist on your Google phone when you get a chance. You'll understand what it's about. And his goal is that um, of all the commissions that the real estate agents make, 2% of what their commissions are, 1% to the buyer, 1% to the seller, will go back to uh, the charity of those people's choices. It can go to the church. It can go to the American Cancer Society. It can go to the American... Humane society, you can go to all these different places. But I said, can you imagine the difference that people would say, well, you're not just talking about you want to give back to the community. You're putting your money where your mouth's at. So 
I, whether that was divine intervention or bad Mexican food for both of us the night before, I don't know what it was, why we couldn't sleep. But my point is, is this. I believe God is actively still at work in people's lives. Do you? Yeah. I believe he's actively involved in our lives. And remember when I asked you earlier in the sermon? Some of us need an intervention right now. And here's how God intervened. And there's three things I want you to take home. Number one, don't be afraid to do the right thing. Don't be afraid, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The message version of the Bible, the guy who kind of translated the message, his name is Eugene Peterson. Notice what he translates this verse as. He says, while you're trying to figure a way out, when he's talking about Joseph, while he was trying to figure a way out of this whole predicament, he had a dream. God's angel spoke to him and said, Joseph, son of David, don't hesitate to get married. Chances are, if you're needing a heavenly intervention in your life, you're probably also struggling with fear. I believe that for my friend David. He was a little bit fearful about jumping ship and starting his own real estate company. I believe fear dictates a lot of what we do. But let me say this. And what God wants you to know, it's never wrong to do the right thing. <laughs> Look at Joseph's life. It's never wrong to do the right thing. And that needs to be said loud and clear in our society today. Because sometimes doing the right thing is not the easy thing. And sometimes doing the right thing is going to be very difficult. And it's going to have consequences. But don't ever hesitate of doing the right thing. Here's the deal. Mary's pregnant. No, it's not yours. She's going to need someone to help her take care of the child. Forget the rules. Forget what other people are saying and thinking of you guys. Just do the right thing, Joseph. He had already decided to divorce her quietly. God intervened. And he's going to call you to do the right thing. I believe it's still the right thing to give back. So when... I encouraged David that morning in his new real estate company to do the right thing, I think, is to give back into our community. I think he'll sell more houses because people will say, hey, these guys are going to do the exact same thing that any other real estate company is going to do, but they're going to give you money back to help others. And in fact, I said, David, that morning, I remember this, I said, you know, really you're going to say, let us help you by helping others. He pulls out his pen and starts writing it down. That's the first time I've ever been quoted in my life. But let us help you help others. Joseph, take this child. I need you to help raise it. Don't, don't, don't worry about social media and what everybody else is saying. Don't worry about what your family thinks. I need you to do the right thing. And then secondly, here it is. God's in this, right? God's in this. I'll wrap this up quickly. This is kind of what we said last week with Zechariah. Your prayers have been answered. It's going to be a God thing. You gave Joseph this information he really wanted, the information he really needed. Your wife is pregnant, not by a man. She has not been unfaithful to you. She has not broken the betrothed period. She, what is conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. It's a God thing. And you know what? And what the world is celebrating as Christmas right now, they don't even know what Christmas means. It's up to us to remind them what Christmas is. Literally, on my phone, you all can listen to this. Yesterday, from Raleigh County Schools, our superintendent comes out and says, regardless of what you're seeing on social media, Raleigh County has not issued a decree to tell teachers not to wish people a Merry Christmas. 
That's the power of social media. Somebody started a story saying that the Raleigh County School Board said that you couldn't tell anybody Merry Christmas. Our superintendent has to come and do a one call to the entire uh, population of Raleigh County schools to come out and say, we are still wishing people a Merry Christmas. David Price, our superintendent, ends the call by saying this. And above all, we live in a very diversified community, he says, but I want to wish from me to my family to your family a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays. But what kind of world are we living in that social media dictates the truth? Huh? (laughs) God's in this. He's still in Christmas. He wants us to remind people. He's telling Joseph, God's in this. Again, Eugene Peterson's version of this. Notice what he says in verse 23. This is in the message. This would bring the prophet's embryonic revelation to full term. Watch for this. A virgin will be pregnant and bear a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means in Hebrew, God is with us. And finally, the baby will save the world. Not only is it never wrong to do the right thing, do we also need to know that God's in it. The baby will save the world. The angel told him, Mary will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Wow. Can you imagine how this made Joseph feel? His decision that he's getting ready to make is going to impact all of us. Some 2,000 years later, we are praising and worshiping Jesus because Joseph did the right thing. And here's what I'm trying to tell you. If you need an intervention in your life, you need to know that God's with you. You need to know that whatever decision you make is going to impact other people's lives down the road. That's on you. That's on me. He had one of these decisions that was going to alter the course of history. And whatever you're going through right now, Maybe your marriage is hanging on by a thread. Maybe your teenage children are struggling. Maybe you've got a job decision in front of you. Maybe you've got a relationship with a relative you haven't spoken to in quite some amount of time. Or a friendship that's been broken. Realize it's never wrong to do the right thing. God's going to be with you. And realize whatever decision you make is going to impact the lives of others. You do need an intervention. I need one. And what I want us to leave with here today is this. If God is in it, people are going to be blessed for many years if you never give up doing the right thing. I love this story. Because it could have went a different way. And you know, the guy that we never talk about in any of the songs, he needs a song. Because we need to think about Joseph and what his decisions were a lot more clearly as we think about our decisions when we walk with Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father God in heaven, I humbly come before you this morning and Realize that there's been times in my life that I needed intervention from you. And through your Holy Spirit and through your word, there's been times that you've gently guided me. And a time or two when you've taken your foot and kicked me through the door. 
And God, there's times right now in the life of this campus and these people that are praying with me here and the ones that are watching at home that they may just be hanging on like Joseph was. And the more they wrestled with this decision in their mind, the more they thought, well, this is what I need to do. And then you came along. And there's fear because now you're asking us to do the right thing and it's never wrong to do the right thing. And then we need to be assured that you're in this. And then you'll give us the faith to realize that our decision is going to impact the lives around us. Maybe somebody here today is at the crossroads. I pray they look to Joseph. So Lord, during this decision time and this time of prayer, maybe somebody's at a crossroads with you. And today's the day of salvation. They need to say yes to Jesus. I'm a sinner, but I believe you went to the cross and you died for my sins. And they may need to come forward and confess his name before others and get buried in Christian baptism, have their sins washed away and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But maybe there's some prodigal sons and daughters out here today. They've already made that decision and said yes to you, but they've made some choices and decisions that have put them at odds with you or are distant from you. Encourage them like Joseph and call them back home to do the right thing. And Father, maybe there's somebody here today that's just, life is so chaotic right now that they don't even know what's up or down. They don't know whether to go left or right. They just want somebody to talk to and pray with. And God, we're here. People trying to figure it out ourselves, but we're here to pray with you and listen and try to give you godly advice. Just move in this decision time. This is my prayer in Jesus' holy name and all God's people said. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship. If you have a decision you need to make, we invite you to come at this time.